What's going on, guys and gals? My name is Chris Tondevold, and this is Ambition Radio. This is a podcast where we try to find people that have found that balance between their life, family, career, and the pursuit of their passions, dreams, or hobbies. This week, we have singer-songwriter Justin Trawick out of D.C. This was my first time sitting down and talking to Justin, and it turned out great. It's a long episode, and we talk about a lot of silly, irreverent stuff like Jeopardy, his obsession with bullion cubes, and arm wrestling, along with all the stuff that you've come to expect, like how we got started with music and the many other projects he's working on to help build a future. Justin also has his own great podcast called The Circus Life, which is celebrating its sixth year anniversary with a concert at the 930 Club in D.C. on July 27th, featuring Justin's full band, Free Free, Mystery Friends, and others. He also helms the Nine Songwriter Series, which will be at the Birchmere in Alexandria, Virginia on August 9th. I'll have all the links in the show notes, so please go check it out, follow him. He was a great conversation and a great guy. Uh, all of his music is fantastic too, so definitely go help support him. As a side note, we recorded this at Justin's apartment. We had some uh, construction going on. You'll hear some of that stuff in the background. It's not too bad. I did my best to try and minimize the sound in the background. I think it still sounds pretty good, so hopefully you do too. As always, please rate and review on Apple Podcasts, follow me on Spotify, and subscribe on Google Play or however you get your podcast. Thank you for everything. Here's the show. Enjoy. Freaking out that this guy was winning all of the time. And Ken Jennings has made a book. He has a podcast. He has all this other stuff. Right. So he was definitely very, uh, very likable dude compared to apparently this guy. Yeah, I mean, it's funny. It's like, it's just like, and again, we don't need to get into politics, but it's, politics is relative. Like, you know, a couple, many years ago, we would have hated who was in president, who was the president then. Yeah. Maybe. Until suddenly you realize today, that person's a whole lot more likable than potentially the current one. Maybe. If you lean that direction. Right. So with Ken Jennings, people probably were maybe hating Ken Jennings, too, at the time that he was winning. But now looking back on it, in comparison to this dude, you know, you dream of the Ken Jennings days, you know? Yeah, the, yeah, yeah. Versus the, you know, like a, the, the mechanical, uh, you know, uh, a gambler who was almost looking at it more of like a project, like a rather than... An, a game show yeah it was interesting because that was all the blowback i'm pretty sure was that he was just approaching it as more of like a cerebral like science yeah yeah and it wasn't anything that was fun or entertaining mm -mm. it was just people that were going in and out and be like and you saw these people go on the show and they knew that they were smart but you could see their emotional their emotional uh outlook of themselves just collapsing in real time as they were like had zero or a hundred or a thousand dollars. And this guy was like able to buy a car by the end of the right, show. Right. You know, it was, I think it was so demeaning, not maybe de demeaning is the word, but it, it took the, the air out of their sails completely to see this guy that this is what they train like their whole life for. Like they're, mm -hmm. they're known for being smart. Right. And then they're just going on jeopardy, which is like the pinnacle of nerddom smartness. Like yeah. this is how I can improve myself and win money, and then this other guy is just like, I'm smarter than you, I also know how gambling works, and I'm also cooler than you. Like, that's just like a, such a big gut punch, I feel oh, like. Oh, yeah. And that's, yeah, that's, that's exactly what I feel like. Like, this is the pinnacle of, like, 
people being nerds and then coming out of their shell and then just like answering super sciencey questions, super hard questions. And then all of a sudden you have this other guy that just comes in and be like, yeah, I'm, I'm cleaning house yeah. and he's not even likable. No, I mean, it's like if you and your friends are having an arm wrestling contest and you're all like people who just basically sit around and watch, you know, you know, Netflix all day on a couch. I mean, right. those are, you know, that's a fairly easy matchup, but like, I wouldn't want to go against a CrossFit person. I'm going to lose, <laughs> right? you know? And it's it's crazy. So I saw um, I saw a documentary about arm wrestling not too long ago, and apparently it's all about leverage and technique. <laughs> but you see these guys where it's just their arms that are so fucking big, like it's they're as big as your head, right? What's the movie called? The Lady in the Water. Remember the M Night Shyamalan movie, Lady in the yeah, Water? Yeah, yeah. And the guy only works out one arm. <laughs> <laughs> That's what it looks like. It looked like the only. So there was this one guy, um, I can't remember his name, uh, I might look it up later, but this this one dude that his his fingers were sausages, like legitimately as big as kielbasas, right? Uh-huh. And then his arms, they look like cartoon arms. They look like someone just put, um, what is the, silicone in there. Okay. And then just- He had arm implants. That's what it looked like, right? <laughs> but it's all natural. And he's just going what in there. you mean it's all natural? It's that, not- Apparently it is because he. I saw him as a kid and he was doing the same thing, and it was just insane. So he looks. He looks legitimately like a. Um, oh, he looks like a cartoon character, and I'm gonna look him up. Just like so Popeye. You know. Yeah, he looks something? like Popeye. Um, he eats spinach. <laughs> he might. He might. Uh, oh man, I wish I could remember this guy's name. This is gonna irritate me. Uh, but it's it's stuff like that. Like you see this guy on oh, the left yeah. that is just ridiculous. Right. I wish I I'll I'll look up his name and I'll send it to you. Oh, this is it. This is that's the guy. You that's, see how that's real. That's not real. That's real. Yeah, that's his. That's his real. That looks like he's got elephantitis of the arms. Right. That's so. That's what I was worried about. Right. <laughs> um. So Jeff Davis' name. Yeah, there it is. Dude, that's awful. Yeah. But it's just his arms. Yeah, it's just his arms. Because he's regular he's a, everywhere he's else. He's a professional arm wrestler? Yeah. Yeah. So wow. that's that's all he is. And then if you look at him, like, that's a good picture of, like, a normal arm compared to him. Yeah, but even his hands are huge. Yeah. So I, The guy looks like a Hulk. Yeah. If it was just his arms. If, yeah. like, Hulk only kind of, like, got mad in his arms. <laughs> But yeah, no, that's that's perfect. That's like Professor Hulk only being able to focus on the one thing that he actually needs to. If so, his arms were pissed off, that'd be just Hulk arms. Yeah, because right? you have I like to be that. mad to be Hulk, right? Yes, yeah. yes, yeah, that's perfect. I, I love it. Um, but yeah, <laughs> as soon as I saw that guy, so they were talking about how it's a more like uh, technique based because you have to make sure you leverage everything. Wait, you were talking to the guy you were showing me? The I saw the documentary. Oh, okay, okay. I want to talk to him because I just want to look at his big dumb hands and be like, how does this work? Yeah, you need to email him. Get him on the podcast. Yeah, I just feel bad for his wife. Like, that's like, look at those big dumb hands and just like, how do you even hold someone that way? Well, it's probably more like, you know, where comedians uh, complain about this all the time. Where like, comedians were comedians when they met their wife and then they get married and then their wives want them to quit comedy. And they're like, I was a com- comedian when right. you met me, right. you know, like... Uh, you knew you were getting into this. So my question, I would suppose, would be like, did his wife meet him when he had normal person hands? 
in arms? <laughs> or was his arms like this when they met? Like, if they were like this when they met, then she has no room to complain, you know? I if think, she didn't buy into this at right. the beginning of the relationship, then maybe she has a... I think, uh, I think he said even when he was a kid, because I remember seeing pictures of him when he was like 10 or 12, and still those big giant hands. The hands thing, it'd be like one thing if like you're just your arms are big. I mean, truthfully, like I do push-ups every night before I go to bed just to get some exercise. Yeah. Um, but like, I don't know how you get hands that big. Like, you know, I don't know. It looks like he got stung by a bee all the way up and down over and over and over. Yeah. Again. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's nuts. I don't, I don't know. Ugh. It, <laughs> it looks, it looks painful to me. Like that's, that's exactly what it looks like. It looks just like your whole arms are going to hurt the entire time. And it's just so much mass on your bones. I don't, I don't know how it works. Well, I think also another thing to consider is that aren't, um, like professional uh bodybuilders and stuff if they don't if they don't consistently keep it up it kind of just turns to fat right yeah yeah so like what would his arms look like if he stopped working out like yeah you know i don't like the blob right yeah yeah Yeah. there's no definition on him at all yeah Mm, you're right gelatinous yeah because i got a i got a buddy that does that does that he goes to like the shows and stuff but as soon as you stop... What does he do? He goes where? The bodybuilding shows. Like, he does those, and he does the You're competitions. Ready. He competes. Yeah. I thought you were saying he just attends, like, no. as a fan. <laughs> it's like, what kind of hobbies does this guy have? He's just really, the... really into going. That would be like, yeah, if, if a guy that looks like me, they're just like, yeah, I really appreciate your, your physiques, but you're still just a schlub the entire time. That's not... <laughs> that's not... Why don't you just go walk? Um, I don't want to. Uh, but yeah, so I would assume too, cause he pays so much attention to his diet that once that goes out, like to your point earlier about if they just quit working out or they quit eating right, I assume all that stuff just goes like, you look like a normal person Yeah, or totally. you hope so. Right. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, me and hopefully the rest of the world, but definitely me oftentimes, like when discovering a new person on Facebook, friending someone, whatever I do, I go down like the, the Facebook rabbit hole mm-hmm. of the reverse time machine of their Facebook um, profile pictures, <laughs> you know, and usually just generally speaking, the person gets skinnier as the photos get older. Right. Yes. And you can really just kind of see this like amazing transformation of, you know, just, you know, emotional downtrodden. Uh, yeah. And, yeah. And the person just kind of gets rounder. You yeah. Know? I mean, everyone is including me. Yeah. That just, that just makes me sad. So I could, <laughs> Well, so I quit drinking two years before or two years ago. But that should make you less round. So right? here's here's the thing. Yes, that should. And instead of looking like a before and after, I look like a before and a worse than before. I feel like you're not gonna friend me on Facebook now. Actually. Yeah, I'm, I might not talk again. It just it just hurts. But that's that's I've I've had that happen in real life, and I'm just like mm, I don't I know what I am, and uh, I like to eat, so it's fine. Like yeah, yeah. I was yeah. gonna say I pay attention to my diet too. I like I uh, don't. eating as much as possible. Yeah, I, I there's no attention to detail at all. There should be. Like I just made uh last night or the night before I made like a four cheese grilled cheese, which was delicious. Did you make that because you watched the show The Chef something or other <laughs> on Netflix? No. You know what I'm talking about? No. <laughs> uh-uh. No. Uh-uh. Um, Is it like The Chef's Table or something? Well, no. Do you have? Did you ever see a movie called Chef? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. with John Favreau. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I didn't see it, but I know what it is. Yeah, you know who John Favreau yeah, is, yeah, yeah. the actor, not the podcaster. Yeah, uh, and the director. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. He does like the, a lot of some of the Marvel movies and mm-hmm. stuff, right? 
Well, the the very first one and bringing it into the Marvel movies, Gwyneth Paltrow is on this show. He it's a cooking show called I think it's Chef Chef something, and it's with John Favreau. And there's usually a um, uh, an actor or actress, and then there's the actual chef who taught him how to cook for the movie Chef. Oh, that's um, an cool. Asian guy. I can't remember his name, but he's awesome. Um, Gwyneth Paltrow. They have this like moment in the first episode where they're like. Gwyneth Paltrow didn't realize that she was in one of the Spider-Man movies. Oh, yeah, I heard that. And she had this kind of like, there was like this like minute long kind of battle they had where she was like, no, I was in that movie. He's like, no, you were in that movie. You know, and I I don't know. I don't know if that like I should be happy for her or if she's like out of touch or she literally didn't know what she is in. So one of the things that I heard is that they they filmed like five movies in a row a lot of times. Mm Mm-hmm. So she could be filming a part for another movie, not realizing that it's actually going to be a part of this movie. Uh, especially because they film them out of order a lot, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. So to her credit, she literally may not have known that she was in that movie, <laughs> which is insane to me because that, that is such a big thing. And you just everything blurs at that point when you're working just so much and so much. I assume it's the same thing with, with shows, that all your shows kind of blur together and you have to find that like one piece that kind of jumps out at you like oh yeah that was an actual meaningful show and experience but yeah for her that was just so insane to hear that that the the actors go through so much and they're filming so much that they're like i don't even know what movie i'm in on this i think it was that episode or was the next episode they made a grilled cheese and that's what made me think about what you were talking about and it was awesome they had they they had like every it was like a gruyere and like a cheddar but they also put parmesan in it yeah and uh, I actually, I mean, I definitely learned, like, when they made the grilled cheese, um, grilled cheese is, by definition, super easy, hopefully. Yeah. But when you watch an actual chef make grilled cheese, one thing that they did, which I thought was really kind of interesting, is when they thought the grilled cheese was done, they took it to a, a counter and they cut into it, and they saw that in the middle, the grilled cheese was still not fully um, melted. Right. And he said that it's because the, the oven was too hot. Or I'm sorry, the grill was too was hot. Too hot. Um, it melted the outside before it melted the yep. inside. So when you so they they did it. That was like their test grilled cheese, and so they did it again. But they turned the 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 the, the um that is the so grill much, down. That is so much work. Yeah, but like it 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 brought like a little science into the cooking for right. me, and I was like, oh yeah, that makes a lot of sense that I didn't think about otherwise. That I was it was literally too hot and just. Cooking the outside. There's the outside. a there's a YouTube series uh from Epicure, which does like the four four levels of food. So one of them was four levels of grilled cheese, one of them was four levels of burgers, one of them was four levels of French toast, and one of them was four levels of mac and cheese, which was my favorite. So they get like an amateur uh cook, uh kind of like a semi amateur home cook that cooks all the time, right? than a professional cook and the professional mac and cheese guy had like bacon uh had graham cracker crust on there like a crumble on there and then was using all all like five different cheeses and all this other stuff and it was just insane how much work you would be able to put in there and then use some kind of like spices like cayenne or something else in there to make it like a, a good savory spicy mac and uh it sounded lovely i wanted it mac and cheese though is one of those things isn't it where it's like it's really hard to beat just straight up boxed craft isn't it 
Like I love Velveeta, but yeah, it's, Velveeta. Yeah, like, I mean, I realize they're none of them are cheese, but that's like really not cheese. That's it's like fine. Really? Yeah, it's totally fine. I don't care. <laughs> it's, it's all about the taste. Like I look at the I look at the the nutrition box, and uh, I feel like the last day you eat Velveeta is the day that you graduate from college. Like it's like eating ramen, except for ramen has made a U turn now, and ramen's. Back. I think I think Velveeta is a step up above Kraft. I I always felt that way anyway. Um, the Velveeta, the cheese is already yeah, in cheese form, right? Yeah. So it yeah. it kind of technically takes less cooking skills to yeah. make Velveeta. I am fully aware. Right? I, I yeah. I, I mean, burn noodles sometimes, <laughs> so I I'm fully aware of how this works. <laughs> so <laughs> I uh, I am not good. Um, I tried using HelloFresh not too long ago, and uh, is that kind of like Blue Apron? Yeah, yeah. It's like a I think a better version of Blue Apron. Were you doing that by yourself? Or yeah. Like, okay. <laughs> Yeah, uh, was, it, was it for a single portion, or were you getting it for? So like a they family? make it. They make it uh, three meals designed for two peoples. Yeah. Um, two people. So you're eating like a king. <laughs> <laughs> so that was also that was also the problem that I would make these these healthier meals, but eat all of it out of a trough. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Just put it all in one big bowl. Uh, but that was the first time that I ate kale. And I was like, I don't want to do this ever again. It was garbage. Like, it just tasted like leaf. And also, if you eat too much kale, you basically can't leave your apartment for, like, six days. You know? Yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Like, you're basically confined to the bathroom. Definitely. <laughs> Definitely. It's not good for you. And anybody that says that it is Or it's is really lying. good for you, but it's not fun for you. That's even a better part. Yes. All right. Um, that's, yeah, that's funny. <laughs> I, I got to a point where um, I was working so much that I couldn't uh, pick up the the HelloFresh boxes because mm-hmm. I had it at a UPS box since I just ran out of basement. And they're like uh, refrigerating. Depends. Yeah, so they have ice bags in there. Yeah. So if you leave food out for five days. And you live in La Plata, so there's uh-huh. like bears and stuff. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There, yeah. There was a bear in Waldorf. Yep. Wait, really? <laughs> yes. Was it- I mean, I'm just joking around. Was yeah, there an actual no, there bear was, in There was a bear in Waldorf and bear in Fort Washington, which isn't too far away from me. So, yes. Two different bears or it was the uh, same bear? I think it was the same one, okay. but I'm not sure. Um, that's so funny. Uh, we get deer all the time. Like I, I go into my driveway, uh, and it's, it's a whole family of deer just chilling out. But yeah, so since I have a UPS box uh, at the UPS store... I had to leave there. I had to leave it there for like five days, and they called me. What is me. a UPS box? It's just a, uh, just so a big, like a PO box, P- but oh. with a UPS store instead. So you can get like packages and stuff. You get a lot of. Are you like? Do you order drugs or something? <laughs> no. Why do you get so many UPS uh, packages? I run a basement, so I don't get mail to the house. So I get because mail. they don't want you don't want right. them to know about your drugs. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So it's a very precarious position I'm in. Do you live with like a family, but you live in the basement? Uh, more or less. So just the the mom that. As leftover from the the family that still lives there. And leftover. Yeah, like, all the all the kids left. So oh, well. yeah, it's just me and my dog and my cat in the basement while she's upstairs doing whatever. Yeah, yeah. So it works out. Um, I don't do anything, which is probably the problem and the reason why I look like this. Um, <laughs> you don't like you know move. You no, okay. no, I don't. Um, you don't, I, you don't have any hobbies like you don't bicycle or you know unicycle or anything. So. Let me put it in perspective for you. I got a dog almost two years ago, right? What kind of dog? He's a pit bull mix. 
And oh, so you're like on a list somewhere. Like, yeah. <laughs> uh, it goes with the drug, yeah, drug yeah. cartel that I have. Um, so I, uh, I got him and I was looking for a dog that can be independent because I work anywhere between eight to 10 hours a day. And so I got the dog two years ago, a thinking that he would kind of, you know, get me more motivated to leave the house since that's kind of what the, I wanted to do. Right. Sure. He's just as lazy as I am. And this well, is a problem. But he's, I mean, you, you have to give the dog credit. The dog isn't going to one day be like, I need to train for a marathon. Let's get out of here. The dog's going to do whatever you want to do. Sure. Right. So here's, here's the problem with that. Problem with that is that I drive him to the trail and we go walking. But instead of actually walking, he goes, hoops, pees, and then runs back to the car. Oh, you're just not, you're not, you're not training the dog. Sure. For the first year, he was walking with me the entire time. Yeah, yeah. And then he was just like, "Fuck this!" It's How old hot is the dog? Lazy. He's seven. Did you, uh, you rescued uh, him? Yeah, yeah. So that was he was about yeah, four or five when I got him. I think. Yeah. I don't know how time works. Now you guys just literally just watch Stranger Things and eat Cheetos. I don't eat Cheetos, but we definitely watched Stranger Things this weekend. You know, I don't. I also do not eat Cheetos. I think Cheetos are gross. It's that's not good for you. It doesn't feel good. Okay, but I mean, we're already going fine, down like a it, rabbit right, hole of like nothing sure. is good for us, but we do it anyway. Yeah, but they don't, they don't taste good. Like they taste like I feel like packing popcorn. Cheetos are the ones that are like the dense and they're, they're not cheese puffs. It's the same shit. But I also all, don't like those either. Yeah. The cheese puffs, Cheetos. Yeah. I used to be a Doritos guy and I'm really not a Doritos guy either. Now I'm a kettle, kettle chips Kettle guy. chips is, is where it's at. And then... Uh, I like wheat thins a lot. That's that's my big thing. Wheat thins? Yeah. You've got a wheat thin thing? Yeah. yeah. I got I like triscuits. Triscuits over wheat thins. Specifically, because when, 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 when I don't know how old you are. I'm 37. When I was a kid, there was just one type of triscuit. It was just triscuit. And uh, now there's like, you know, rosemary and sage and olive and olive oil. I'm not really sure why there's one called olive oil. I mean, I don't know what the taste of... <laughs> I'm, I don't have like an olive oil palate, but... I always get the ones that are like garlic because I just, just more garlic is better than less garlic. Um, so you're definitely not a vampire, so that's good. Definitely not a vampire, but I definitely like garlic. Uh, but yeah, I think um, I'm in. I'm in the same boat with wheat thins, though. So wheat thins. Do they have flavored wheat thins? Yeah, it's all the same shit that you were talking about. So rosemary and thyme. Uh, there's like a buffalo one, I think. Um, Tastes like buffaloes. Yeah, yeah, Buffalo <laughs> Ranch or something. I don't know. Um, and they have like tomato and basil. That's one of them. But when I was growing up, it was just one. That was it. Yeah. And I just loved that one. And then I right now, so. But could I, you go back to just regular poor man tri- uh, 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 wheat thins at this point? Or I do. I oh, don't really eat do? the other ones. It's. It, I do you don't just like them. eat them straight out of the box, or do you get yourself some nice charcuterie <laughs> with like a, a, a nice like a summer sausage? I'm not and like, a, a, like a brie. <laughs> There's nothing about my life that is that fancy. Uh, I, I just eat them out of a box. But the only thing that I do is there's one with just a hint of salt rather than like the regular super salted ones. So I just eat those because I don't like salt. You don't like salt, Mm-mm. dude. So, you know, I just I just had a very like uh, I just. I'm about to say I just came out to my parents. That's the wrong <laughs> word to say. But I just had, I, I did not come out to my parents. Not, not that, that there's anything wrong with that. This is a safe space, I'm sure. But I, 
just admitted to my parents that I often just sit in my kitchen and nibble on bouillon cubes. Like, <laughs> uh, I have a thing in there full of bouillon cubes, and uh, truthfully, half of them are because I have put them away myself. No soup is necessary. <laughs> so um, if I'm making a soup, then I put like one bouillon cube in the soup and one for me, and I just kind of sit there like a, like. You know, like, what? It, I don't know what it is. Is it a chipmunk or is it a squirrel that's at the beginning of all the Ice Age movies? I'm it's just, like a squirrel. Yeah, 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 I just feel like him. I'm just, like, nibbling it with my fingers <laughs> to my, my, my face. I mean, you can't eat the whole thing because that's crazy. But you right. can nibble that's it because so that's funny. less crazy. Yeah, 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 that's so funny. The only time that I've even seen another human with a bouillon cube was when my mom was making soup. That was it. Oh, no. Yeah. I haven't seen it as an adult. You haven't lived in, unless you've... Uh, uh, Nibbled on a building on cube like horses lick a salt lick. Sure. Do you know what that is? Yeah, I'm okay. not doing that either. That's gross. No, I, I wouldn't do that. Yeah, I don't. I'll, to each their own, I guess. But uh. did you ever imagine coming to my apartment and starting a podcast this way? I mean, essentially, we've not talked about anything important. We haven't talked about it. <laughs> well, yeah, no, we haven't. Uh, <laughs> um, I, I like I like doing it this way because it, it breaks ice. Way this more. is what um, Mark Marin does. Yeah, yeah. You listen no, to him? Yeah, I don't. I don't really like. So, his is fine. Well, he has a self-deprecating side that's like... Yeah, he'll also never hear this. His is fine. He tends to over-talk a lot. Sure. Uh, Pete Holmes is the one that I like the most. I don't know. Is he a porn porn No, no. That's uh, Peter North. Oh, okay. I shouldn't know that. (laughs) You're really into... (laughs) You're really yeah. into porn, Chris? <laughs> no. But I don't know why I know that. Uh, yeah, I mean, you knew so that funny. immediately. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> That's stupid. Uh, Pete Holmes is another comedian. Um, he was just, uh, did a show on HBO called Crashing, I believe. Um, but his podcast, I like a lot more, but it's also like two or three hours, and I just, I don't have time for that shit. Oh, yeah, so, that's that's a dedication. I listen to the Adam Carolla show every day. Okay. He's from Loveline. Yeah. And I still listen to old Loveline episodes. I mean, yeah. I'm 37, still going through 16-year-old, 17-year-old me daily when I drive my car, because that's my office. I do all my work in my car. And this guy, Giovanni, I don't know his last name, he has recorded every pod, every Loveline episode from 1996 like, to yeah. like 2006. And I perpetually am living in this... Blink one eighty two world still because all the you know all those podcasts are from like early like grunge and nineties rock and right. stuff like that so I don't know about current bands but I can tell you all you want to hear <laughs> about you know um, Blind Melon right mm-hmm. well do you feel bad for listening to those and not paying for them for the podcast yeah or no for the old lo- Loveline stuff like no. you don't have any kind of subscription or do you give Corolla any kind of cash for that um. I'd, I'm trying to think if I've ever used like his like Amazon link or anything. Although I don't think that that's is are the Amazon links that podcasters you know what I'm talking about. Yep. Is that still as relevant as it once was? If people actually go to the website, yeah. Yeah, I feel like people probably don't do that as much as they most I, most podcasters just use advertisement or pa- and, like Patreon. Is big. Yeah, yeah, Patreon's another big one. Um, there's a few that I know in the DC area that still uses. Amazon or Walmart tabs or whatever. And what Walmart tabs? Yeah. So like with the Amazon link, right? Yeah, yeah. You can also do a Walmart link. You can oh, do a Target really? link. You can do whatever. They have affiliate programs yep. just like Amazon does. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you can do a whole bunch of different stuff with it. But it depends on how much people you're getting driven to your website. Right. 
So if you're just a straight podcast, a lot of times they're not going to a website. They're right. going to whatever platform that they listen to. So, but I, so I heard that same kind of mentality, not mentality, uh, that same kind of situation where uh, one of the podcasts that I listen to, one of the hosts will listen to all the old Loveline stuff. And I think it's the same dude that he was getting off of YouTube, right? So he's listened to all that stuff. He's listened to old Howard Stern. He's listened to all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And uh, he had to think about it. It was like, am I stealing from it? Because I'm not giving anybody money for it. And then someone is just uploading stuff. And then the guy that ran the channel, that uh, the YouTube channel that was uploading all that stuff, was asking people to contribute to his Patreon. So this this guy's name is Giovanni. It's probably the same guy. Although, it's, it's funny about listening to these old Loveline episodes is the Giovanni talks for like five to 10 to 30 minutes, depending. My girlfriend hates it. She'll listen to the episodes with me, but he does like, you know, a little like, uh, you know, pre-conversation before he actually plays the episode. And um, there apparently are a few people that do it and they all, I don't think, get along or or something. That is so weird. It's a weird world. It's a weird world where like your life is revolve. your life is revolving around one other thing, and as I say that, my girlfriend would would say, "Justin, all you do is talk about Adam Kroll all day. <laughs> you are him." Um, but no, I do know that he. Uh, I do know that he does Patreon. He does. Yeah. Uh, I think he, if you he, he takes a PayPal link if you want to do that. But he also like you know rewards people. So like if people do Patreon, he'll literally send them a thumb drive of. Um, all the episodes and stuff and, like that. And that's interesting to me because you're he's stealing from someone else and then I believe he's gotten permission from it. Okay. He has a a he has a very positive relationship with Adam Corolla. Okay. okay. And um I don't think Dr. Drew or Adam Corolla care one bit about Westwood One and Probably not. C- CBS or whatever it is. Probably not. I mean their whole mantra when they were doing the show years ago was that they were being abused the entire time by the radio station that they worked for and the, the network they worked for. Yeah. So it doesn't matter either way, I don't but really it, it's, care. I think it's just interesting to have someone make money off of someone else's work, uh, a little bit like that. So like for the, an original song and then the cover makes more than the original song, but you don't give credit to the cover or, well, I mean, you... or the sample or whatever. Right. So I think that's, Sampling is probably different. I don't know the the I don't know the rules of sampling. I think that like sampling that's you can only use like a certain amount of seconds of a song. Yeah, something like that. Covering is different though. Like, let's say you're an artist and I'm an artist, and you like one of my songs, and you start covering one of my songs. Um, I still would make the money as being a songwriter uh, if uh, you put it on a record. Um, the record that I just did, which is lying around here somewhere. Um, I actually have a cover on it and it's the first time I've ever put a cover on a record before. And I had, there's a, there's an agency called the Harry Fox agency. I don't know if you've heard of that, but Mm -hmm. they're the, they're the main agency that, um, has, you get the rights from to cover something. Um, and I think it cost me like 200 bucks. It's based on the amount of units you're going to sell. So I think I bought a thousand, I purchased a thousand CDs. I did a thousand CD run of which I'm more than half out of now uh and i think for the thousand cds it cost me about two hundred dollars which is basically nothing um if i was the rolling stones and i did a cover of someone else i'd probably have to spend thousands of dollars yeah on it um 
But, you know, also, like, if that song gets on the radio, if that song gets on TV or a commercial or film, you as the songwriter... Um, still get the royalty. Still get a royalty. I actually... My last day job before I started doing music full-time, I worked for Sound Exchange. Um, okay, yeah. Are you familiar with Sound mm-hmm. Exchange? Uh, people are... There's literally construction being done in my building, and my building is made of two of, of like balsa wood. So you're gonna be able to hear it. Yeah, I think we'll be all right. Um, but uh, I worked for Sound Exchange for the last two years before I did music full time. And Sound Exchange collects a performance royalty, um, and the performance royalty is only for satellite and internet radio like AOL or XM. Those are kind of two outdated examples, but they're good examples. Mm-hmm. Um, and the performance royalty is not taking away any existing royalty. There's still just as much of a songwriter royalty as there ever was. That has not gone anywhere. But the performance royalty is for the performer of the song. So if I cover, I covered Wonderwall. That's what's on the record. Okay. I did my own version, um, very different than Ryan Adams' version. And um, Or Oasis. Well, it's their song. It's, I mean, so, it's so different that it's actually Oasis. Uh, yeah, okay. <laughs> um, but uh, if if you just get played on terrestrial radio, which is like DC 101, sure. um, this royalty does not exist in terrestrial radio because the um, National Broadcasters Association, their lawyers have just been like, you know, they have just been kept it out of getting it into old-fashioned radio. But new media, um, anything internet or satellite-based, uh, in early 2000s, they were able to add this to just general law. Um, so if I played, if I got Wonderwall, my version of Wonderwall played on Sirius XM, uh, Oasis would receive uh, songwriter royalty. Songwriter royalty um, and I would receive a performing royalty. I could make an entire record of Beatles songs or an entire record of Oasis songs um, and actually get the royalty for being the performer. And then never um, and, play it on radio and just make sure that you get the money off the internet and satellite. Say it again. And do what? Never, never play it on terrestrial. Oh. But always play it on internet and satellite. Oh, and yeah. And you, you both like, get paid. I mean, even if you don't get paid on terrestrial, I mean, I realize that you're kidding. But even if, you, if you're not getting that royalty on yeah. radio, if you get it on radio in general, you're already going to be a step up. Sure. Yeah. I mean, if you're if it's on radio at all, that's going to be a positive thing in other means. People that's are going to come to your I never, shows. I never like even that. thought about that. What? What that did you think? It would be the performance uh, royalty. I always thought that was a thing that terrestrial and any if you get played on any kind of music platform, I thought that you would get paid for it. If I did a cover of a song yeah. and then it went on DC 101, I would not get paid for it. That's crazy. If I did that cover of the song on XM Series, I would. And that's just because of the fact that the lawyers for the National Broadcasters Association have been doing this for years and um, are relentless about making sure that their client radio stations and TV station uh, networks are having to pay as little money as possible. The The new media is why they were able to get it in there um, because that was less protected and more of a, like a wild, wild west frontier kind of thing. Right. That's and even then, it's like, you know from just pop culture of seeing it in the news and stuff, people complain about it. Probably the artists that you've interviewed on this show, like Spotify, like for every play on Spotify, it's like fractions of a fraction of a fraction of a penny. And that's only because they concurrently get away with it. 
right you know one day that all that stuff is being litigated and one day that will hopefully be better yeah that that all that stuff is insane to me like you have to get hundreds of thousands of plays just to pay for like a record Um, and what's more insane though is the to me is the fact that we're we're breeding this culture of listenership where listeners think that music is free and as you i mean i know that you i know that you um interview more than just musicians Mm -hmm. um restaurant owners and Mm -hmm. stuff but um uh for the musicians that you've interviewed you know you 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 own mics and you own your your recorder you said your recorder was a couple hundred bucks Mm -hmm. this shit costs money recording it costs lots of money and you know to then uh resign yourself to um uh just releasing it on Spotify essentially for free because unless you become Taylor Swift, none of it's going to amount to much. Um, and I say Taylor Swift, meaning unless you become super yeah, yeah, yeah. huge, uh, your your music is really are people for 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 the the average working band, which is probably most of the people that you've interviewed. Music is recorded music is just becoming an advertising for live shows. You know, for me, my money is, I'm a full-time musician. For me, my money is not made in album sales. My my money is made from playing live. Um, and, like, this weekend I'm playing in Knoxville. Um, I'm playing at the 930 Club at the end of the month. You know, um, last night I opened for Alejandro Aranda, who just did uh, uh, American Idol. Like, I play all the time, and that's what pays my rent. What pays for literally where we're sitting. Right. Um, it is not because of CD sales. And CD sales was crazy, too, because uh, 10 years ago, le- way less people knew who I was. Um, I was playing to way less amounts of people for way less money. But on average, I was selling way more CDs. Smash cut to 10 years later. Today, more people know me. I'm playing in front of in, at better venues, in front of more people. Um, and opening for bigger people are playing like events. Like I, I have now played... I have now played multiple times with Senator Tim Kaine. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, but I've never sold as, as little CDs as I have than now. And that's probably just because of the digital platforms. Then, of right? course. Yeah. But the alternative is to not make money. You know, if you're not selling CDs, that, that for, for most bands, CDs and alternative merch like T-shirts, like most of my merch sales comes from t-shirt sales you know like literally before you got here my girlfriend and i were packaging t-shirts to send to all over the country and out like we're sending one to germany that's cool um but that's it's just you know the business of the business of music has changed entirely um and if you can move with it like i feel sorry for the bands that are older where it's they're not as um flexible they're not as like um you know what i mean they're not as uh embracing of technology embracing of the or just knowledgeable you know um the 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 model has changed and they can't keep up um you have to definitely figure out how to keep up and even me like i I, i'm very bad at spotify promoting i i truthfully do not even use spotify because i'm still kind of a little bit partially against it in regards to like some of the not paying for music and stuff um but i know that i'm i'm doing myself a disservice by not really working on you know getting spotify followers and stuff like that well i think it's i think it's interesting so i think that one of the ways that it should be done is a lot like 
um, sporting association. So you split the revenue with the players. You split the revenue with the musicians. So with Spotify, there's a, a steady amount of revenue coming in, whether it's through monthly subscriptions or through ad services. And what I think a lot of times is happening is that the Spotify, Pandora, whoever is taking in those subscriptions and then just saying, oh, yeah, you can just go ahead and pay out whatever fraction of a penny per song. But unless there's kind of a, a CBA, collecting collective bargaining agreement from the musicians saying that, no, you're going to pay us, you're going to dedicate 50% of your revenue mm-hmm. to musicians, then I don't think that's going to really change. So I look at uh, hockey, and this was, I think, back in 2006 or seven when they had a lockout because of a CBA agreement that wasn't reached Mm -hmm. um, because of revenue shares in there. So I think that's probably what needs to fully happen is that there's got to be some kind of uh, bargaining agreement for everybody instead of individual. And it's very difficult because when you look at uh, musicians trying to just get their names out there so much, they try and look for the biggest platforms to do that, right? Sure. And then Spotify allows all the stuff to go up free, no problem. You can register, you can put your stuff up there. I was able to do it with this dumb little podcast that I have and not have to pay anything, right? So I I think there's a couple different program or a couple different you, uh, agreements that need to be made to do that. Did you get your podcast on Spotify through Libsyn? Do you? Mm-hmm. What do you, you um, it's actually something I need to do with my podcast, and I have not. Is it easy? Mm-hmm. I need, is it just like click, my girlfriend does it too? And she also has a podcast. She was like, it's just like click. Everybody has a podcast. I know. It's none of us are unique. No, <laughs> <laughs> there, there are no special snowflakes. Although either. I do have to say that I think that the, maybe the unique part of it is the content. Yeah. Yes. Everyone has a podcast, but everyone, but in this, everyone's podcast is for the most part, narrow casting. Like the one that my girlfriend does is for executive coaching, you know, um, uh, the one that I do is just because it's an offshoot of my personality and me as a musician um, interviewing other people. Yours is a kind of a, an interest one. Like, you know, you have all kinds of different people. Like, I think that's what makes podcasts maybe more unique, not necessarily just being unique to have one. You're right. Everyone has one. I think also that's it's you can see it in music, too, where you're looking for more niche stuff. And then if you break yourself off from the pack, you're going to have a more dedicated following may not be as big as you might want sure, it, but yeah. it's more dedicated dedication in there to where you have fans that are keep spreading. It's I think it's a lot more old school than people think because now it's a lot more word of mouth. Right. That you you can bang your head against the, the wall to try and promote online as much as possible, but that is such a big ocean to try and make any kind of splash in. Right. And if you can find the people that actually like what you're doing and then they can share your story that's it's you're basically doing what was done in the 80s all over again what was done over the past 50 60 years sure. all over again and i think that's to what your point about the niche stuff with podcasting i think it's the same thing with music too yeah i mean if you have a small business whether it's a band or whether it's a podcast or if you're a painter or even even if you're an accountant it's like you have to create fans somehow yeah. you yeah. know you have to it's all kind of it's just sales and referrals, you know? Tell your friends. Have your friends come up to me. Um, you want your audience to grow, but you also want to be able to see that. So 
for me, it's a lot harder to see that as a podcast. For you, I would assume that it's a little bit easier because your music, like what you were talking about before, is an advertisement for your live shows. So if you can grow those audiences that are right in front of you, that the merchandise sales are there, everything is there, then that is probably a little bit more validation that you're actually doing something right and you have the people that are dedicated behind you. While with some of the the podcasts and some of the musicians that are just internet-based, they're just kind of throwing it in the wind and and hoping that it will catch. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think the most successful podcasts... Well, the most successful business of any sort is a is a business where you're building a business off of, well, maybe this is not uh, the right, what I'm trying to say. Maybe the most immediate successful business is the one where you're building a business off of some other prior fame. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. like, you know, you or me are, you and me are both, I mean, don't, don't let me speak out of turn, but you and me are both not famous. Right. right? But. If suddenly you got a partner in your podcast and your partner was a famous Redskin or something, your your podcast would probably suddenly be listened to by a whole lot more right. people. Um, I, you know, the one thing I can say from being a musician and playing in the for the last over ten years in the area is that if anyone's listening to my my podcast, it is from people knowing me for playing music. So I'm not just necessarily. Now, that's not to say that thousands of people are listening to me, but hundreds of people are mm-hmm. listening to me. Um, and that's from a previous work that Estab- I created from yep. something else, that I established from something else. And all that stuff, like I do three main things in my... Well, I do four, but one is not unrelated. I do three main things. I do my band, I do the Nine Songwriter series, and I mm-hmm. do the podcast. And essentially all those things are just different vehicles for the same branding of Justin Trawick. You know, um, and uh, but with different goals in mind, like the Nine Song series is much more of like a uh, a collective community event that I've started as a side project, and now is going to be at the Birchmere in August. And we just had a show at the City Winery in New York, and I literally got off the phone with the guy that we're going to book a show in LA. Um, but I was talking like an hour before you got here. Um, and the Circus Life is the podcast that I do that like for the last six years has done a yearly show at the nine thirty club, which will be July 27th. And, and then my band, but all those things together, it's just like, you know, don't just be on Instagram, be on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, plenty of fish, Christian mingle, <laughs> our time clowns only. Uh, plenty of fish. I like, cause you're literally just trying to date your, your next fan, like not in a bad way, but like you're trying to just, Say, look, this is what I have to offer. This is my own little profile. Please follow me. Please come over here and let's be friends. That's so funny. Because that's that's basically all you're doing. Like you're just like, look at look at what I can do. I can do right. uh music, I can play it this way, I can I'm funny, I can do all this. Cause people are gravitating more towards personalities a lot of times. Right. And they can either hook onto it or very much be like what we were talking about with the Jeopardy guy, right? So they can hook on to a personality and root for them, or they can just be like, mm, you're not for me, and then just dissipate. So like that guy, he probably won't have any kind of big following after that. He'll just go back to gambling and making all the money again. While Ken Jennings has this huge, he's like a culture zeitgeist almost now. He has his book, podcast, and then all the, the stuff with Jeopardy, and it's just insane to me. Yeah, I yeah, no, you're right. I I appreciated what you said about like trying to be funny and like 
and stuff, because definitely for me, like, the guy that I opened for yesterday, I, I told you, his name is Alejandro Aranda, and I did not know him before yesterday, but 230 people came to the show yesterday at DC9, which is packed. Yeah, that's like... He sold that show out in 12 minutes. That's, that's what, insane. He sold, he sold his entire seven-day... On Wikipedia, it was just updated. He sold his entire seven-day tour out in, like, a day. Um, and... He was the runner-up. He was like, you know, the guy who lost to the winner uh, on season seventeen of American, American Idol. Idol, and yet, and he actually admitted this on stage. He was like, "I feel like I skipped a bunch of steps because he was a musician before, but he was not a successful one. He was a bar musician like everyone else." Um, and American Idol happened, and he went from I think just being a bar musician like in his town um, to going and selling out places for the first time. So his first experience with touring is this, yeah, which but, is insane because it's not. But unfor- unfortunately, or fortunately, depending on how you look at it, a lot of people are, you know, you people have become YouTube famous before they ever play a gig ever, yeah. Yeah. and so their first gigs ever are not shitty bars where people are looking right over your head at the sports ball game behind you, clapping at inopportune times of your song, going, <laughs> "Why are they clapping? It must be amazing." Oh no, because somebody scored a touchdown, right? No, their first gigs are like in fucking arenas, you know? That's and so crazy. And again, like, I, I'm not complaining. I'm not complaining. If that happened to me, I'd be super ecstatic. But in the same sense, it's like really skewing normalcy of fame and, and, and the traditional sense of, like, the work it takes to get somewhere. Um, I always feel like I've liked The Voice more than American Idol because I feel like whenever I've watched The Voice, it's usually always people that have a prior experience of being musicians mm-hmm. playing. It, it seems that they've always gotten people who have been professional musicians already. Where it seems like with American Idol, predominantly it's people who have never done anything ever and they think that this is the way that they become. Well, American Idol like, seems more like a flash in the pan, try to get someone that's going to be... like The, the whole build-up is the drama for all the tryouts, right? Sure. And then they finally get on the show and it's just like we're going to break you probably because <laughs> these people have never been on a stage before. And if you can survive being berated by whatever the British guy's name is that's not even part of the show yeah, anymore. Not anymore. Um Simon Cowell. That guy. Uh that that will probably you probably deserve to be expedited a little bit, right? Sure. Cuz you're on a multi-million dollar TV show. With The Voice, I always felt like these are songwriters that are trying to help other songwriters, it looks like. How did you get into podcasting? So uh, I used to book concerts down in Southern Maryland, and this is about 10 years ago. Where does uh, one book concerts in Southern Maryland? There was uh, a couple of bars that I did it, and then I rented out a church, and then I rented out some halls, and uh, just tried to make a DIY scene down there as much as I could. Does the fact that you don't do this anymore it mean something? Was it ultimately successful? Uh, it was definitely not as successful as I wanted to be, that's okay. for sure. Uh, just like the, the whole kind of point of the show is uh, trying to find balance between your life and what you actually want to do. Sure. Uh, my life took over, so work took over, uh, trying to pay Up, for bills. And upselling people at the Verizon store. Upselling people at the Verizon store, that's exactly right. Um, now I'm at a better place financially that I can probably start doing that again, but uh, it's a lot of time and effort. And Are you a musician? Do you play? I started playing guitar two years ago, oh, a year that, ago. 
How old are you? 32. Are you sure? I'll be 32 in September. Okay. God, I'm the worst. Uh, you, you, you had, you had any musical experience prior to 30? Nah, so I... You didn't uh, play, like, flugelhorn or anything in <laughs> no. high school? Uh, no, I played recorder, if that helps. In high school? No. Okay, good. <laughs> Whatever the elementary school is. Um, so I have tendonitis in both my hands, so I always use that as a crutch. Because of arm wrestling? Yeah, 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 that's exactly right. Uh, so I use that as a crutch to not do a whole bunch of different stuff that I should have done. Uh, like so, walking with your dog? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I'm just trying to go through all the things we talked about. I like it. Uh, so when I turned 30, uh, I finally was like, fuck it. If they're going to hurt, they're going to hurt. And then I started uh, playing. I got an acoustic guitar and just tried tried it out. And uh, they haven't hurt nearly as bad as they should. So that's helped me out a lot. Um, the first few months that I was playing, my dog would lick my hand every single time until I stopped, which... He doesn't anymore, so I think I'm getting better. He just stares off at the distance and looks Wait, at me. Wait, see, you mean like while you're playing, he'll lick your hand? Yeah. Uh, is that because he wants you to stop? Yeah, I think yeah. so. Yeah. I think... My buddy has a banjo that he can't play anymore because every time he tries to play the banjo, his dog barks at him. <laughs> like, barks like, please stop playing the banjo. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that's the exact. Uh, so, like I said, I think I've gotten a little bit better because he doesn't look at He just looks at me. He doesn't actually come up and just physically stop me anymore. So that's good. What's your pitbull's name? Elliot. Elliot? Yeah. Did you name Elliot or is that the no, name? No, that, that was that was the carryover, yeah. Alright. Yeah, so I have Elliot and then I have Josie. She's my cat. Are you a cat guy? Eh. She's fine. Did you get the cat in like the divorce or something? How did you get the cat? Uh my friend was gonna either give her to a shelter or see if someone could take her. So I decided to take her and instead of giving her to her shelter. Uh, so I got her when she was super skinny, and now she's just fat and mouthy. There's a trend here. Yeah, <laughs> I ruin everything that's around me. My dog, my dog is healthy. My dog is more than fine. He's uh, sixty pounds and twenty of it's in his big dumb head that, that hits me every time. Um, is your girlfriend not like, hey, we have to let's let's go and walk around the block or something? Like, is she no. not? No, no, no. All right, no. There's there's nothing about that. Uh, I I work I work enough. To sleep in most days and not be motivated, that's good enough. Oh, yeah. Good. Yeah. yeah I, 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 there's some excuse in there. I just haven't quite found a good one to to be that way. Um, but so I, I started playing guitar. Uh, I used to book concerts. And now this is my kind of way to rekindle a lot of the relationships that I had beforehand. Um, and also try... And meaning like you're interviewing a lot of people that you had prior, mm-hmm. you priorly worked with? Mm-hmm. I'm not sure if priorly is a... Prior work? <laughs> worked with... Pri- I don't know. I don't know. It doesn't matter. <laughs> prior relationship with? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then uh, try to kind of build a, another community again and see if that, that'll work, so... From what I've... There's a girl I know, her name is Shannon Bielski, and she lives out in Southern Maryland, uh, somewhere, I think, kind of maybe near what you're, where you're... where mm-hmm. you live. She's got a band and, and stuff, but she does not... She says there's, there's not a lot to do out in that area. Um, there isn't. Which I suppose is why you have to get out of that area. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't mean to move, but yeah. I mean like why maybe why you came here. No, it's so it's it's something that um something that we've been dealing with. So like for that area you have to play north to try and get any kind of bigger exposure. Sure, and unfortunately 
for that place. There's not really so the 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 people that have been playing music are the same people that have been playing music for about twenty years. Like it's all the same bands and uh-huh. stuff. Yeah. There's no new blood really in right. there, which when I was doing shows uh, one of the things that I focused on was all Asia shows to try and, and get generational stuff in there and to always consistently have people play music. And this was like country music, like line dancing and no, stuff? No, this, this was a lot of a lot of terrible metal, Oh, a lot metal. of even worse hardcore, uh, and then some really cool stuff here and there. I mean, was like how, how hardcore? Was there blood at your shows? Uh, it depends on how hard they went. Uh, there was this one guy that uh, almost broke his ankle, because uh, he jumped off a little box that he brought with him and then just fell right there and it was not good for him. Was it epic or was it just no, unfortunate? No, it was sad. It was sad. Yeah, yeah. He got back up and kept screaming. So that was... Do you but, come from that world? Like, did you listen to like Henry Rollins and Black Flag and yeah, all that stuff? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, uh, I grew up, my, my mom tried to raise me on country and then my stepdad tried to bring thrash metal into me and I was like, I'm not going to listen to either of these. I'm going to just go listen to punk. And I started with 77 and went up. So I'm sorry. Is 77 a year or is it a band? 77. Yeah. 1977. Okay. First wave punk. I'm sorry. All right. Uh, so no. like the damned Buzzcocks. Okay. Those, those are the Buzzcocks is probably one of my favorite bands. Right. Um, Why? I absolutely love everything that they've done. And they're the only pop punk band that I'll ever actually like. Uh, but all their stuff always struck with me. So the musicianship first and then the, the different lyrics that were in there and then what they were talking about. Uh, and the fact that it was just something simple and easy, but also pushed the envelope. Cause they, you're still a fan. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very much so. Yeah. Um, and then like how much of a fan, like, did you ever like write, did you ever, what's the lead singer's name? Uh, there was a, co- Oh fuck. Uh, well, there was Steve Diggle and then the like, other Did you one. ever, like, did, did no. the young Chris, you know, less round young Chris ever write, like, Steve Diggle, like, a, like, a, no, like no, an email? No, no, no. Like, no, dear, but, dear uh, Steve, <laughs> I love your uh, music. Nah, but one of, uh, one of, one of my ex-girlfriends got me, uh, his book, uh, Harmony in My Head book, uh, and I, I really like that. Uh, and then they're failing to, cause they're one of, one of the dudes, uh, Passed away, Pete Shelley, I think. I don't remember. Uh, I'm not a very good fan, but I like them a lot. No, no, yeah. I mean, I, you don't have to be a. You don't have to know their names to be a huge fan. Yeah. yeah. Um. So that musically, that's where I'm at. And then um, when I decided to do this, it was more of like, okay, so let's try and figure out how I can actually contribute to to everything again because I'm not going to do shows. I just don't have the time for it. Totally. I get that. Yeah. So, uh, for you, when did you start playing music? When I was, well, I started playing music when I was younger. I, uh, in elementary school, I, I, um, my parents got me piano lessons. We didn't have a real piano. We had like a keyboard and it wasn't touch sensitive. So it didn't matter how hard you hit it. It was the same volume. Um, you know, it touched sensitive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, uh, my, my piano teacher's name who came to our house, her name was Paula. And uh, Paula hated me, and I hated Paula. And we we I feel like that's every piano teacher. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> uh, you know, you can only take like you know your knuckles being wrapped by a ruler so many right. times. And um, I I regret that because I I I wish that I did not quit 
after three years in the third grade uh, because I'm always very envious of the multi-instrumentalists that I, of my friends who play multiple instruments. They're all insane. Yeah. Um, I, I kind of, this is not, I can't really say this. I, I, I'm like, I, I, this is a terrible joke. It's just a joke. No, I can't say this joke. <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to think of like, in the, in the world we live in, this joke would not come off well. Um, we'll just say that you're very envious. Yeah, no, I, uh, but, um, I played saxophone from sixth grade to the end of college, but, and saxophone was something I always, uh, I liked. And I, looking back on it now, I realized when I was in middle school and high school, I was playing, I was like making up little tunes on the saxophone, very similar to like Lisa Simpson. Uh-huh. Um, you know, where I, I wasn't necessarily aware of the fact that I was writing a song. Right. Um, when I was 13, the summer before high school, I discovered um, a guitar. Uh, I grew up in Leesburg, Virginia, just okay. just outside of Leesburg, um, in Loudoun County here in Virginia, about 30, 40 minutes from here, west of Arlington, where we are. And uh, I, my parents, before I was, right before I, I had been born, had bought um, a old pre-Civil War house um, in the country. And it was like, it was old, and it was very historic. There was like an early 18th century cemetery on us across the street from us. That was like definitely super haunted. <laughs> uh, there were civil war musket balls lodged in the wood of our barn. There was an entire, That's actually really cool. There was an entire abandoned town in our woods. Um, that is creepy. And, um, there was a storehouse on our property that had been used years and years and decades earlier as uh, a post office for that town and a boarding house. And at one point in like the 70s or the 80s, they had actually made a actual legitimate haunted house with it. Um, And on the second floor in one of the rooms, it was knee deep, no joke, no hyperbole, knee deep in cow bones. Um, That's crazy. Yeah. And um, so when I was a kid, uh, I was very superstitious. I was an only child, and I, you know, there were, I didn't like live in like a classic like cul-de-sac community. It was mm-hmm. me and chickens and cows and my parents, right? And, and then all the ghosts, yeah, and all the ghosts. So I was very superstitious, and there had been a closet that was under the steps going to the second floor of our house that I was always very superstitious about. I never went in; it was scary. You did not go there. And one summer before high school, when my dad was at work and my mom and I were at home, I was bored enough. To overcome your fear, the fear of this closet, and I went in, and I uh, among the things that I saw uh, pushing past, you know, the fur jackets and stuff like that, very similar to like the line, the witch in the wardrobe. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I won. I saw this guitar case, similar to the guitars behind you, but it was a very old case. It was like a cardboard black case. It was looked like it was beat up, and um, more so, just more importantly, I had never even considered a guitar ever. The guitar was not something that I just ever crossed my mind as an option but i discovered a guitar my dad had never told me there was a guitar in there um my mom had forgotten there was a guitar in there she did not know my father as a guitar player um so i brought this guitar case out to the front porch we had an old style wraparound front porch and with my mother looking over my shoulder i opened up this guitar case and when i opened up this guitar case there was a classical guitar the classical guitar is a nylon string guitar mm-hmm. And all the strings were broken because it literally hadn't been touched in 20 years and humidity and just, just general oldness. Right. All the strings had, had broken in it. And I took it out and 
when you take the guitar out, there lies a compartment with a like little door, um, there were where you can put there? like strings and stuff, right? So again, with my mother looking over my shoulder, um, I opened up that little compartment and I pulled out, I pulled out a pair of women's black satin underwear <laughs> that my father had somehow uh, achieved in college uh, and had used for a rag. Um, That's so funny. And that was my guitar first guitar experience. And that was first the first. Of, that was one of two times that I inadvertently threw my dad under the bus without meaning to with my mom. Uh huh. Um, but uh, I quickly started playing guitar. I was I, I I I say that I wasn't probably very fun at parties because I didn't ever learn cover songs when I was a kid. I Man, I learned them to a point of being able to. Um, I was self-taught, and I bought like little books and stuff, and like you had to, in the books, like you know, you had to learn a Beatles song so that you could learn chord progression. Right. But once I learned all the chord progressions and just general chords in general, I started very quickly transferring what I didn't really know until recently, thinking back on it, transferring what I had been doing with saxophone, which is just kind of making little funny licks up on my saxophone, to now doing the same thing. But now I was right playing, you know, cowboy chords. And singing, you know, little stupid songs about girlfriends, you know, <laughs> when I was 14 in ninth grade. Um, and uh, and I don't know, I've just been doing it progressively ever since. And then 10 years ago, just decided to not get another job, um, you know, but it's uh, I think like a lot of people like, you know, your hobbies become your job sometime, depending on yeah what it is. Well, when did you feel comfortable to go music full-time? Well, I, truthfully, I can say that I went full-time, but, I mean, I was definitely laid off uh, from, my, from my last job. Um, and, uh, you know, that's not to say that I was bad at my job, but my, I definitely did not want to be at my job. I right. liked my job, but I wanted to be a musician. And they also were, it was 2008. The market was in free fall. And, uh, you know, these companies had to, like, figure out their employment structures. And I got laid off. And But the, the thing about being a musician, I graduated college in 2004. And I had a band in college and all that stuff. Although my girlfriend in college didn't think I could sing very well. So <laughs> I wrote the songs and she sang in the band. And we played a lot, but not, like, any, not professionally. Like, we played a couple gigs a month. Right, right. But she was the singer in the band of the, and I played guitar and wrote the songs. Uh... And it wasn't until after college that I really started singing. Um, and I had various jobs. Uh, and I would do the whole thing that everyone does now, which is I'd work nine to five or in, in for this particular, my last two years for those, that job, it was actually 10 to six, work 10 to six, drive to Philadelphia, play a gig, get, get off the gig, get home at two o'clock in the morning and repeat the next day. Um, so the whole point being that when I actually got, when the job kind of fell out, um, I had been doing music for so long and so hard, essentially as a second full-time job, that when um, I lost my job, I had realized that I had actually somewhat built a sizable amount of business for me in return when we were, we were talking about like referrals mm -hmm. and like, you know, having an actual mm -hmm. like book of business. Like I had, I had been playing with enough bars and met enough people and stuff like that where it it could conceivably pay my rent, especially if I could figure out a place a living situation like the apartment that I live in now, which is a perfectly nice apartment. It's an old building. Oh, there's a lot of these like old, you know, um, garden style mm -hmm. brick buildings from mm -hmm. post World War Two, 
um, stuff around like Falls Church and Arlington and stuff. Probably Maryland too, maybe. But yeah. I think especially around here. My landlord's awesome. I don't pay a huge amount of rent. It's on a metro. Like I could not be more lucky in regards to being an artist. Um, but yeah, that it was. Eh, I mean, I come from a from a parental background of two parents that had one job. One of them had two jobs their entire working life, you know? So for them to have a son say, yeah, I'm not going to get a real job. I'm not going to get <laughs> another job. This is going to be my job now. Like it's been a progressive le- lessening and lessening issue with my parents being able to say like, I'm playing at the Kennedy center for the, for the eighth or ninth time, you know, doing a show at the nine thirty club, um, getting songs on the radio, stuff like that have been like, um, you know, benchmark things that help my parents go, okay, maybe this is not a terrible Do you feel like you have to constantly prove yourself to them still? Yeah, but it's not for any terrible reason. It's because your parents, parents don't want their children to be poor. Parents don't want their children to have arthritis and still have to do this when they're 80. Right. And I I think about that all the time. My knuckles crack all the time. And I, I worry like, okay, if this is even just a hard, hardly an issue now, it's going to be more of an issue later. You talk about the tendonitis in your mm-hmm. hands and your wrists and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, this is a uh, physically demanding job to a degree. I mean, I'm not doing construction, but, you know, it's still physical. Yeah. I mean, I feel like, and I'm a, my, my band and I are, we are a fairly, like, full contact band. Like, when we're playing, like, we're exercising. Right. You know, we're not just standing there. Like, we're being... Um, active moving so, around all that, so yeah. you know there is a, a certain amount of calories that are being burnt when we play that like you know i wonder like man am i gonna be able to do this and the gear I'm... isn't light no but I, truthfully when you're in an americana slash bluegrass band your gear is minimal yeah and i i, I you've had ben tufts on your show mm-hmm. yeah i do not ben's awesome he's a great uh musician i don't I, understand I, how he lives i do not yeah on multiple cases I don't understand how a drummer doesn't have a heart attack before a show is over. Especially you listening to the crazy, you know, black metal that you listen to. Uh-huh. Uh, I, I, I don't know. I mean, if if I was the drummer for Lyle Lovett, I might be able to get through a show. Right. Um, well, my favorite part about Ben was he ran like 15 miles to a show once. I know. Did the show and then like packed everything up and then left. And I was like, how do you do that? I don't understand what part of a human brain actually does that. And it's just insane to me that, I mean, God bless him. He's, he's going to probably run until he's 95, but it's still, it's just insane to me that that can actually happen. And you're, you won't break down. I don't, he has no sign of breaking down. Yeah. I mean, it's one thing if you're just, it's hard to rationalize that if you're just doing like a, a week long Marvel marathon from your couch, (laughs) that's fair, you know, that's fair. (laughs) but I do agree with you. Like, I'm tired of, uh, I'm tired physically when I see like his posts about like, you know, this is the marathon that I just ran, you know, I hopped it. I like, you know, I, I didn't even do it with both legs. I just wanted to challenge myself. Like, I skipped you, the dude. entire time. Yeah. <laughs> that's so funny. Uh, that That's good. All right. So we're, we're, how long have we been talking? A while, a while. I'm really so, sorry. No, it's fine. Um, cause I, I just want to get to a couple of different things. Um, before I go into the, you might want to put a, like a, a note at the beginning of the podcast, be like, you don't want to hear us talk about, you know, a lot of bullshit, right? Skip to the, the first 30 right, minutes. Right. <laughs> um, so 
where right now you've been playing music for a long time. You're doing this full time. This is your your main and only gig. Um, well, I also I do the three things I told you, and right. then I, I also book a couple bars. Right, and that that's what I was going to go into. So you've diversified a little bit, right? So you have your podcast, you have your music, yeah. Uh, you book a little bit here and there, and then you have the nine uh, songwriter series. series, right? So I want to get into how the podcast came to be uh, and how the not, uh, nine songwriters came to be, uh, and then talk a little bit. Are you going to be focused more on booking other bands in the future? Is that something that you kind of want to do to help stabilize and diversify what you're doing rather than having to really rely on your own stuff all the time? Well, booking, to go backwards to your, mm-hmm. your the last question you asked, booking is kind of like one of those things that like a lot of musicians kind of like get into just because they, it's whether they like it or not, it's a skill that they have inadvertently built up while trying to become famous, you know, uh, while failing to become successful, yeah. they, <laughs> they realize that, you know, they're becoming well connected. They know tons and tons of musicians. They know tons and tons of venues. Um, you know, they, they meet people who open bars who want to have live music, but don't know anybody. So like we were talking about Ben, Ben books, books mm-hmm. a place called the pub and the people of which is because of the fact that he knows a guy who owns it which is surely because of the fact that he's an active musician, which is mm-hmm. how he met that guy in the first place. Um, I'm the same way. Like, uh, you growing? You grew up here? I grew up in Southern Maryland. So, so did enough. you watch NBC4 when you mm-hmm. were a kid? You remember a guy named Tom Sherwood? He was yes. A, yeah, so Tom Sherwood is what it was, and he's no longer on NBC, but he is now on the Koji... Um, a Koji I forgot his last name show. It's like an... Um, it doesn't matter. But he used to be on the MB, uh, NBC4. Mm-hmm. His son, Peyton Sherwood, owns um, a couple bars in D.C. Cool. Um, so I met him at one of them. When he went to another bar called the Midlands, I started booking for the Midlands. While I was at the Midlands, his old boss at Solly's, where he used to work, was like, hey, I need a, Justin uh, books your bar, and it looks like you play all the time. Can I, you know... Can he book my bar too? So mm-hmm. he put me in touch with him. I used to do the booking for Port City Brewing Company. Um, I used to do the booking for South House. Uh, bo- your booking jobs kind of like come and go because working in the in the restaurant industry in general kind of overall sucks. Yeah, uh, the, everyone's got like horror stories, and and hopefully you find people that are like really great eventually. And currently, the, all the places that I work with are the owners are all really really awesome. And even if those jobs were to wash up, I would I could still say the those awesome those owners were really really awesome. Um, I do have to say that like the ports I don't work Port City anymore, and that owner is still great. It just wasn't it, it, that job just came to an end. Yeah, I have worked other places before where those relationships were awful, and <laughs> it was really really gr- terrible. And working for the owners or the managers or whatever was just like you know uh terrible uh really bad so um you know but 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 doing booking for example uh for me you're talking about diversifying like uh as a musician who plays to pay my rent you know i mean i play to do all kinds of things yesterday i made a hundred bucks opening for someone who probably walked out with several thousand dollars right right um that's not going to pay your rent but what that did do, though, is get me 
a real big bump in my Instagram following. It gave me some credibility. It gave me something to add to my re- little bit of resume of like of who I've opened for. And yeah. I've opened for a lot of people. Like, I've been lucky. I've opened for like 30 or 40 national acts. Um, uh, but I split my time between doing the artistic thing, which makes me no money, uh, and doing things like my I have an agent that books me for corporate gigs and wedding gigs and stuff um, who just texted me you got here about doing an event in south carolina um and how much it would take for us to to go down to there do that yeah, yeah. you know which is not small because right you know a it's it's a corporate event so it's going to pay well b we have to get there i don't own a van i have to rent a van i have to make it worth it for guys to not only play this gig but to also drive seven and a half hours each directions, which is essentially going to take at least 48 hours to, to 72 take hours time of their off, time. All that good stuff. Yeah. Um, so it's gotta be worth it for them. Uh, you know, we got to get hotels and all that stuff, you know, doing like the corporate, uh, gigs or the wedding gigs or something like that is nothing that I, not, not something I ever really dreamed of doing, but actually it works in my benefit, not only financially, but seem over the, I've been playing for like 12 years, but in the last four or five years, or maybe even a little bit more, maybe five or six years, our band kind of did a um, a slow aesthetic change. We used to be like um, more of like a classic like folk rock band of where there was um, acoustic guitar, drums, bass, electric guitar, um, and we did a wide mix of everything. Mm-hmm. Um, We've always done a wide mix of everything. We've never had just one straight style like what you were talking about mm-hmm. way earlier in our conversation. But over the past five or six years, we've really turned into a straight-up string band. Upright bass, mandolin, fiddle, and guitar. It's still the same guys. My guitar player picked up the mandolin. Oh, I, the fiddle is new. but um, And then I do have a drummer, but not very often. We're 90% drumless. But what we do at a lot of our shows is we now cover pop songs, but we do them as Americana or bluegrass songs. Which is making me, I don't really feel like I'm selling myself out in terms of being a cover band because we are, we are creating something new. Yeah. We're, yeah, we're creating a, we're doing a different approach. If you go to my YouTube channel, you can see a video with Senator Tim Kaine and I and my band, really great video of us doing I Want to Dance with Somebody by Whitney Houston. And it's really cool. And it's, we get booked all the time for that reason. Um, I like to tell people that we kind of make like Americana and bluegrass music accessible to people who don't like it. Right. Because, you know, um, well, because we're doing songs that they already know. We're doing songs that are like, oh, I know this song. I shouldn't like this music, but I like this <laughs> song. Oh, this is cool. Like it's, it's kind of making it accessible, you know? So, yeah. um, so we get, we play all kinds of, events we just did a wedding at uh republic restoratives which is a a whiskey bar in in northeast where we were actually uh booked for this wedding because the wedding couple this uh nicole and beth uh were already fans of our music but knew that we could do these funny awesome covers we got asked two years ago to play a wedding in Asheville, north carolina it was the coolest wedding i've ever been to chris it was a lesbian rugby british wedding um and when I was emailing back and forth with uh, one of the brides, 
she was like, yeah, I'd like our first dance to be to System of the Downs Chop Suey. <laughs> and I was like, are you are you sure? Like, is, did you really mean, was that like a, a copy and paste error where you meant to say, you know, uh, some sort of Celine Dion song? She's like, no, uh, I, I mean Chop Suey by uh, System of the Downs. So we learned it. That's fantastic. And we learned it kind of like in like a Americana, kind of, again, bluegrass kind of way. Um and it was the only wedding still I've ever played where there was moshing and crowd surfing That's during so great. the first dance. That's so great. Um, <laughs> of, of predominant British rugby women. That's so um, Oh, man. And uh, That's so funny. So for, for you, uh, obviously the, the music and being able to diversify how you approach music and play different gigs, getting the stream of money in there is great. The booking you're doing almost by happenstance by just connecting with people. And yeah, and the, or one one thing I was going to say, Chris, is that the booking enables me to play less shitty bar gigs. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah, the booking kind of like just pays my rent, so I can kind of think about being a little bit more artistic. I still have to do the thing, do things for money, of which I don't mind because I've I'm doing uh, like like I just said, like I'm I'm playing covers so. that make it uh, palatable for me. Like it's right. like we're doing a fun. We do a bluegrass version of, uh, well, you, I, before we did this podcast, we were, I showed you, we do Just a Friend by Bismarck mm-hmm. and we do, um, I Want You Back by the Jackson Five. Okay. And, um, I, like, there's a couple songs we have to learn for a wedding coming up, I think. Um, and other things. We did a big party for, like, Bloomberg last year. Like, it was, like, one of the biggest parties we'd ever done. Um, which is cool. But yeah, the, the the doing the booking, and also it's like it goes back to me doing the nine songwriter series, which yep. I can also do. Like the booking is like this thing that's like where I can like help hook up my friends. I was there's a guy uh, there's a guy that um I just booked a couple shows at Sally's for yesterday for the the rest of the summer and fall, and I know that I'm really helping him out. I know that like for for playing this bar gig, it's a big deal for him. Like um. These are these are important gigs for him, and this is helping him pay his rent, but also helping him, you know, be a working band with his band. So I know that I'm I'm helping serve my friends in that regard. Uh, and the nine was something that kind of came about for the same reason. When I was uh, near the end of my very last job in 2008, I was sitting around trying to figure out a way for me and my friends to get into better venues and in front of mm-hmm. more people. And I pitched a place called DC Nine, which is where I was yesterday. Um, this I idea, yeah, I like it too. I like it especially now because they have revamped uh, their web, their their sound system. Yeah, it's m- much it better. It sounded great beforehand too. So okay, well, it's uh, whatever it was before. It's really nice now. That's fantastic. Um, and uh, I pitched them this idea of the nine at DC nine. Um. Sometimes I wish that the DC nine had been called DC eight or DC six only because <laughs> nine is a lot of people. Yeah. Um, but uh, the idea was, you know, with ever if everyone drew a minimal amount of people that collectively we could pack a, a much nicer room than we could normally get into on our own. Um, you know, cause if it's just me playing DC nine, it's and sellouts, 230 people. That's solely my responsibility right. to, f- to pack it. But if everyone draws 15 people, it's 135 people in the room with minimal effort. Oh, there you go. Um, so that kind of turned into a little... That was just initially just a one-off thing that then just kind of became a fun thing to do, I think, like on a monthly basis. And then we, I just started branching out. We started doing it at other venues. And 
now I've done it in like about, I don't know, uh, probably 20 different cities repetitively. And I have a couple cities where people actually do it for me. And like, I'm not the producer. Someone else produces this similar to like so far shows. Mm-hmm. Um, like I said, I just got off the phone when, before you got here with a guy that's going to help me produce one in LA. Um, we're going to try for a place, a small place. It's like a, it's a real small place called Molly Malone's, which is near Hollywood. He called it Hollywood adjacent. <laughs> and, um, and, uh, it's allowed me and my friends to really get into, into places that we couldn't get like the Kennedy center, the city winery, uh, our 10, truthfully, this is our 11th year anniversary, but I never actually celebrated the 10 year anniversary. So this year on August 9th is the 10 year anniversary for the nine song under series. That's awesome. At the Birchmere. And the Birchmere is like one of the nicest venues in all of DC. Yeah. Um, and I have a good lineup that the idea too, is that like, you know, it's got to be a, a venue where the artists. It's a it's a it's a a marquee venue for those artists. I mean, they might not want to play it if they can already play at DC Nine, but most of the artists that I booked for this show at Birchmere couldn't really play Birchmere on their own. Right. So it's important for them, and um, because it's a big venue, I got a couple people on it that are much bigger touring acts. There's a girl named Jen Bostic who's from Nashville who like tours all over the country, and she goes to Europe. There's another guy named Brian Dunn who's the same. There's a guy named Eric um, Brace who used to be in a, a very popular DC band called Last Train Home. He's still in the band, but now he lives in Nashville. Um, and uh, and actually, there are a lot of people who couldn't do it that I wish could. I don't know if you ever listened to the band Vaco, Virginia Coalition, but those guys wanted to do it. They were like touring with OAR back in the day. Cool. Okay. Um, did you, do you maybe you remember the Pie Tasters? Yeah. Yeah. So like Steve really wanted to do it, but couldn't because his family had a vacation in Nags Head that week. Um, Jimmy Haha from Jimmy's Chicken Shack has done the show many times. Do you know? Do you remember the band Weedus? Yes. Because I'm just a yes, team. yes, yes, yes. That guy's done it before in New York. That's really cool. Okay, Brendan Brown. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So this show is a lot. You know, no one gets rich doing this show because no one gets rich splitting money nine, ten ways. Right. But um, but it, it's really helped a lot of us out. Um, the. And there's been a few people who have done this show that have gone on to be super famous. Rachel Platten, she's got that song called Fight Song. This is my fight song. That's her? Yeah. She has done The Nine. Um, That's awesome. Uh, I think I think the most important thing is you're genuine about it, right? So this isn't something that you were trying to do to just highlight people that you're able to ride their coattails. This is something that you were actually focused on just with the booking itself, getting people out there. The, the Chris, the amount of people that I know that have become famous, uh, as I've gotten to know them, and, uh-huh. and me still being right left in the dust, right? You have to get a big, you have to build a thick skin in this industry relatively quick, and let and and just be like, my time's gonna come or it's not. But you know, you can't be upset about that, or and you gotta you gotta be able to be happy about the contribution that you're making too. Totally, right? of course. Yeah. Um. And I yeah, I'm really proud of that stuff, and I like I like. I like doing things with people. There's a lot of artists that are like, I just want to play my songs and I just want to play them hopefully to a crowd. And that's great. And I also am like that, but I also like collaborating with artists and us all being on stage together. And, um, you know, I come from a background of being like, you know, again, playing saxophone from sixth grade all the way to the end of the college in both jazz bands and like improv. And you know, especially if you're a songwriter, you are by definition in, in you're doing something in regards to improvisation. Um, and with the nine and like, we all, we all, uh, 
uh, back each other up on stage. And, like, you know, that's the whole point of the That's really cool. Uh, When Eric Brace goes on stage on on August 9th at the Birchmere, he might ask me to play cajon for him, and he might ask the two ladies in um, the sweater set to sing backups for one of his songs. And then when they go on, they might get Louisa Hall to play kazoo during one of their songs. (laughs) And... They might ask Eli Staples, who's going to be playing piano with me, to play piano for them. Like so, everyone's asking someone else to back them up. So you, as the audience member, are entertained not just because you came there to hear one person that you know, but then you're also watching all these other people just wing it all night long. And it's not always successful; they fuck yeah. up all the time. But like, that's what makes music real, you know. It does have to be ultimately still good. I can't put just a whole bunch of novices on stage because it will it right, won't sound right. great. But if everyone is at a certain um, uh, competency level, then collaboration on uh, spur of the moment collaboration is really kind of um, exciting to watch. One of my favorite shows that I've ever been to is still uh, when I went down to Florida and I saw Kevin Devine, Manchester Orchestra, and Brand New. Yeah. Kevin Devine opened, and then he played guitar for Manchester uh, as just another guitar. And then... All three bands were on stage when Brand New were playing, so they had two drummers going on at the same time. Yeah, that's cool. Everybody was doing something. So that big collaboration piece, and if you were paying attention to anything that they were doing on social media, you knew that they were all friends to begin with. So it was really cool to see everybody kind of collaborate and do like what you're talking about, have everybody on stage contribute, and it's such a bigger experience than just seeing those individual bands. No, I think that's awesome. Absolutely. And, the, and I'm not taking anything away from that. The only thing I'll say is that they probably worked on that for oh, a long yeah, time. For sure. Between just doing it every single night over and over again and just getting better at that collaborative part of that last yeah. part of the show. or And also probably rehearsing it even before the tour started. Well, having two drummers going at the same time doing the exact same thing right. has to be difficult. The difference with the nine is, is that every single time we do a show with the nine, the lineup is original. Now, there are a lot of people that have done the show many times. There's a lot of alum, uh, repeat mm-hmm. alumni of the show. But every single show is a, is, a, is a unique lineup, and most of them have not played together. So that's where like the collaboration that's, is really unique. I think that's wonderful, because it's, it's almost like a more structured jam, if that makes sense. Um, you also asked about the, the uh, creation of the Circus Life. The Circus Life, when I was a kid, um, I listened to a lot of funny talk radio. I grew up listening to down a mic mm-hmm. um and i grew up listening to loveline my parent i i i've said it before that my parents would probably be really upset if they knew what i was listening to when i was 12 <laughs> and 13 on the radio you know i was listening to you know, where i lived in leesburg uh in and in, in the country uh i had to do some fairly good uh because I think, like with an old Walkman, like you're, you're uh, oftentimes your cord kind of was partially an antenna. Yeah. With like your headphone yep. cord, so I had to do some like crazy wrapping around of like the headphone cord to like different parts of the bed and stuff in order to get HFS on my um on my. That's a long Walkman. Time ago. Yeah, yeah. You know, because HFS was like in the Baltimore area, yep. I think, right? And they're the ones who carry Loveline at ten o'clock at night. Um. Where later. you should be sleeping because you're 12. You have always been late. <laughs> I remember, and I don't remember what year. What year did Princess Diana die? She died like in the middle of the night on the East Coast here. Sure. But, like uh, I remember watching that live on television wow. because I was. I've always been a late night person. Gotcha. Every night, like I've always been a late night person. So, um, but you know, I grew up listening to funny talk radio, and 
And then mixing that with being a musician, about six years ago, I asked my buddy, he's a recording engineer, um, if he'd want to do a podcast. And we so we did a podcast called The Circus Life. It, the Circus Life is the name of one of my songs. It's kind of like one of those things where it's like, it's it's a catchy name and means nothing at the same time. So those are always like the best names, Bonnaroo, mm-hmm. whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Um, uh, we had, because of the fact that we were in a studio, I had a really good amount of luck, uh, getting, um, interest from big name people and touring bands, um, and, uh, people that, and people like you're, we're interviewing, you're interviewing me right now from my apartment, mm-hmm. you know, G11, the special saw, you know who that is? Mm-hmm. That he has no interest in coming to my apartment to do my podcast. Probably not. But he no. did have ex- interest in coming to the studio. Now, I happen to just give you an example of someone I could never, we could never um, logistically figure out. Um, but plenty of people, like Kevin Eubanks, wouldn't have wanted to come right, right. to my apartment. But he did want to come to a legitimate studio where a lot of famous people have recorded. Um, so we did that, but Sean got super busy a little over a year ago. And so I've just been doing it like guerrilla style. I showed you before we did the podcast my Apogee. USB mic, which is perfect for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and in fact, I've started with the podcast doing just like me talking kind of things. And I think you can see that I have no problem just talking for a while. Um, so that's <laughs> actually worked out fine. But even if it was just you and me, and you have a very fancier setup than me, um, r- relatively speaking. But if we were doing it, we instead of being across the table, we just basically need to be sitting side sure. by side. That's what I, before you came here, I did a podcast with my girlfriend. And we've just sat side by side and talked into a little microphone um, about the things that happened yesterday and seeing Citizen Cope a couple of days ago. Yeah, um, I saw the pictures of that. That's you like him? I do. Yeah, I haven't listened to his stuff in a long time, but I remember just really liking all the stuff that he had uh, a few years back, and then just seeing the picture uh, that you posted, just the, with the the lights shining through. It was just it was perfect. Citizen Cope is one of those artists where you don't necessarily have to be like up on his music to really right. still enjoy the live shows because truthfully like i i have described this about a couple of bands like uh everclear is kind of a similar band where it's like every song sounds the same but every song is great you know um and citizen cope definitely there's a vibe to his music and a vibe to his performance every song is very similar you can definitely tell that this isn't yes another citizen cope song but they're all really good yeah if you're uh, into that feel yeah, and you're, you're going to be perfect. Um, and what was really kind of funny about that show is uh, that was at the Battle and Cork in Dewey. I don't know if you've ever spent any time in Dewey, but if you, do you know where Dewey Beach is? It's like yeah, yeah, it's I like know where Ocean it's City, at. Bethany, Dewey, right, Rehoboth, um, Dewey Beach, Delaware. And Dewey is this place. I I wrote it in a podcast in a in a Instagram post a couple of days ago. Dewey is one of these places where like doesn't matter what age you are, everyone in Dewey is twenty one. <laughs> like, because everyone is just hammered. When when Lauren and I were there a couple of days ago over Fourth of July weekend, I mean there were twenty one year olds being very uh, perfectly acceptable to be, to be. Your age is your age. If you're twenty one and you're hammered, great. That's right. normal. But there was also like for, they, these two forty five year old dudes who, um, because falling over each well, other. They one got on the back of the other one, and they were running across Ocean Highway, um, and uh, they like they literally ran past a cop, and he like whoop whoop on his just to get them off each other, right. and we just inadvertently befriended these guys, and they were like, 
oh yeah, like our wives and our kids are in there, but we're hammered. We're out here having a good time. <laughs> and um, and they're they had like invited us in their house. We did not go in. <laughs> That's probably um, the idea. <laughs> but you know, this was this was not an abnormal uh, case right, for Dewey. This right. was the norm. That's funny. Um, so we went and saw Citizen Cope at the Ball and Cork, which was one of the couple. Like Dewey is tiny. It's it's yeah. not where Ocean City is like a hundred and like fifty blocks long. Dewey is like maybe twenty blocks long, and uh we went and as you know with your with your uh limited cope experience citizen cope is not reggae but it's like in the same realm where it's it's not necessarily feel good lyrics but it's still overall feel good music it's very groove yeah, yeah. you know his lyrics are real but ultimately, he is a reggae guy at heart in regards to his, like, love everyone. Yes. You know, he's one of these guys that's, like, it's hard to talk to because he kind of talks in poetry. You right, know? right. Um, that's, a good, that's a good way to do it. I like that. Oh, those people are terrible to talk to. <laughs> um, and uh, there actually was a fight at the show. Uh, and How? you that's... could tell that while he was playing, he was eyeing, actually, so it was, he was playing, looking out into the audience. Uh-huh. He was looking a little bit to his right. And you could tell that, like, he was getting distracted. He was, like, instead of, like, being oh, into it, so he, he was doing this. Was going on. He was kind of looking, what's, mm-hmm. what's going on over here? And he actually started talking to the people. He's like, why are you guys fighting at my shows? There's no fighting at my shows. Right. And I forgot what he what he played. He played a song. It's not Sweet Caroline, but let's just call it Sweet Caroline. It was a very not Citizen Cope song to play. He, he was like, I got to get us back into a good mood. So he literally played... It was not Sweet Caroline. Some cover, for, the, for, yeah. the, for the sake of argument, he played a very out-of-the-norm, super highly positive sing-along song that clearly the band knew for this sole reason. They actually had a That's song crazy. to play in case there was needed to be a distraction from something shitty happening on the in the audience. And it was the world's greatest idea. I mean, my girlfriend didn't know Citizen Cope's music at all whatsoever. She'd never right. listened to him. Right. That sold her for being a fan because of the of, really cool. of the strategicness of what he just yeah. did. You know, um, and it really did. It did the trick. It like literally got off everyone's. It not only got everyone's mind off of what was going on. It also softened what was going on. Right. It made those people stop because they were like, "This is ridiculous." That's fantastic. And now uh, the Circus Life is also a live show. So you- once a year, I do. Uh, once a year, the Nine Thirty Club lets me do a um, a concert uh, for the Circus Life. I do not go on stage and talk. Uh, I do not pretend that there are thousands right. or even hundreds of people who want to hear me on stage talking. Uh, I just invite a bunch of bands. I introduce them, um, and then my band plays. Uh, this year it's the Dirty Grass Players, which is a bluegrass band out of um, Baltimore, but tours nationally. Uh, a kind of like a, uh, I think kind of like a pop indie pop band called Mystery Friends, which is fronted by or a, a woman named Abby Sevchik, who just sang the national anthem this past July Fourth at uh, Nationals Park, and a like a like a white guy soldier reggae kind of band called uh, Feel Free, which is a bunch of young guys out of Alexandria and. Um, and a, a girl that I just uh, befriended recently, she's like super young. She's like barely 18, just out of high school. Her name is uh, Abigail Fur. two okay. R's. Um, her dad's the coolest dad. Like she, he comes <laughs> to all of her gigs and, um, I, I, you know, I'm, at, I'm, I'm love the age where I'm like closer to the age of her father than right. I am of the right, artist. Right. That, but I'm like, you know, I'm 37, but like I play music for a living. So I, I'm living this world where I feel like I'm 25. 
You know what I mean? Yeah. I feel like I should have more in common with this girl, but I don't. I have more in common actually with her dad. Right. Um, so it's just going to be you and her dad just jumping on each other, yeah. going down the beach. Yes. Just drunk. Mm-hmm. A yeah. Dewey. That's yep. right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, no, that'll be a fun show. That's July the 27th. That's the Circus Life 6th anniversary show. Excellent. So what would you say keeps you motivated to keep going the most with your music? Is it something that you can't see yourself doing anything more? You don't have an option to do anything else? Um, and what do you think the future is going to hold for you as far as is music going to still be the forefront of it? Or are you going to focus on your other three aspects more? I, I don't, I don't know. I think that, I think music will always be something that I do. Um, I think that, uh, a lot of it is dependent on things like marriage, family, kids, acceptance of all of the people involved in those things we talked earlier about like if you're a comedian and you marry someone when you were a comedian and later they're like when are you going to stop being a comedian it's like you met me when i was a comedian what do you think i was going to do right um versus like you know people getting married when the person's a lawyer and then becoming a comedian like (laughs) you know that's understandably not part of the contract um but uh i i think over the years what i've discovered is it's you uh, don't do what you don't like. And when I had jobs, I, I, I didn't do my jobs terribly, but I didn't want to be there. I wanted to be doing what I want, what I um, had always dreamed of being doing, you know, with, which is music. And I think that, I think that for a, not everyone, but, 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 but for someone like me, you have to uh, do things when those things, things are the right time. And I think at that time in my life, a day jobs were not the right time. Uh, those types of jobs were not the right t- sure. time for me. What I needed to be doing was music. Maybe one day when, uh, again, one of those um, factors come, becomes more prevalent in my life, I might go, okay, this is a time where like I need to naturally add something else to my diversified repertoire to um, essentially pay the bills. Right. At the end of the day, uh, the, biggest, the biggest thing in all of this is just paying the bills and being a responsible person and hopefully, if, like, for example, children are involved, leaving something else for someone when you have moved on. And, you know, um, I don't mind living an artist's life now but I couldn't support someone. I couldn't. My parents were. I I was lucky enough. I think like some people, uh, to like you know have college paid for me, mm-hmm. even by my folks. I feel like I should do that for someone else one day if I if that's in the cards for me. I couldn't do that now, you know. Right. So what does that mean? You know, that's the that's the kind of thing. Now, of course, what everyone hopes is just you know their career just keeps going and gets bigger and but you know that's that's uh who knows who's we'll see i think that's it